All right, so we want to get into Psalm 107 this morning. So turn to Psalm 107. Whether you're turning paper or pixels, you're going to want to have it open today because we're going to read a text that's a little bit longer, and then I'm going to refer to it in the sermon, and it won't be up on the screen the whole time. So find that in your, in your Bible. If you open your Bible to the very middle, usually you'll be close to Psalms, and then find the big number 107. And we're going to get right into it this morning because I have something a little different planned for you. I'm not going to be the only one up here. And interspersed in the sermon is going to, are, are going to be three testimonies, salvation stories of men who have either recently or some time ago trusted in Christ. God has changed their life. And that's happening at Bethlehem Church. People have been changed. This church is full of, of individuals who've experienced God's healing and God's hope. And so it's kind of exciting. You're going to get a chance to hear that uh, this morning. So... Let's get into Psalm 107, where our main idea is God's salvation is our story, his steadfast love is our song. God's salvation is our story, his steadfast love is our song. That's what we'll see here in Psalm 107. So follow along as I read. It's a little bit lengthy, but uh, this is the word of God, and these are the best words that you're going to hear from me today, all right? Psalm 107, verse 1 through 32. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits End. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. 
Let him extol him in the congregation and of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is God's word. Now, verse 1 here gives us a summary of why this song was written. You remember these are songs, right? The book of Psalms is a collection of songs, worship choruses like we just sang. But for the children of Israel. So why was this song written? Verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So Psalm 107 was written to give the people of Israel lyrics and melody to be able to praise God for all of his steadfast love that endures forever. And then verse 2 through 3, if you glance at that, this is the historical context. What is fueling this? What is happening well, you look at verse 2 and you see that the redeemed have been redeemed from trouble. Verse 3, and they've been gathered from the lands, from the east and the west and the north and the south. Now, most psalms were written by David or written in the time of David, but there are a couple exceptions, and this is probably one of them. Most believe that this was written after the exile, so hundreds of years after the time of David. And we say that because, look at verse 3, there's this bringing back together from the various places that Israel had been scattered And it seems that this is a thanksgiving psalm where the people of Israel are saying, thank you, God, for bringing us back from Babylon. Thank you for bringing us back from Assyria. See, they were there because they had sinned against God flagrantly and uh, habitually, and God decided to allow them to be taken into slavery. And that's so that they would learn with a very visual image what sin had already done to their hearts. They had already been captive by sin and now God allowed them to see this vivid illustration by experiencing it. So when Israel sang this song, they could identify on two levels. Physically, they were prisoners. They were captives. They were in these kind of situations physically. But spiritually, they're also captives. They're also, they were captives to sin and now they've been delivered. So they're singing this song with both of these, um, both of these applications. And it's the vivid pictures in this psalm that allow us to understand the depths that we are in before Christ saves us and how he comes and how he rescues us. There's some really neat, vivid pictures. You could call them Old Testament parables, right? So there's four of them. And we're going to see first in verses 4 through 9 that God's steadfast love retrieves the wanderer, retrieves or brings back the wanderer. Verse 4, some wandered in desert wastes. They're lost in in the wilderness. They're away from civilization. They have no food, no water in this desperate, desperate situation. I don't know if you've ever been lost in the woods or lost in somewhere worse than the woods, like the middle of nowhere, and you're just, I mean, I guess in here maybe it would be like the middle of a bunch of cornfields and you're lost, okay? Where where am I going to, I mean, if you're lost, literally lost where you don't know how to find your way back to civilization, it's a scary thing. Unless you're Bear Grylls and you're on Man vs. Wild. He doesn't seem to ever be scared. And every time I watch that show, I smile because Bear Grylls does things that you and I would only do if we were going to die. But he's got a camera crew around him. He's got a Land Rover around the corner and, and you know, probably like a hot meal waiting for him. And yet he's doing these incredibly crazy things. But the wanderers in this passage are no Bear Grylls. They, they, They don't have the resources they need. They're hungry, but they don't know how to get food. They're thirsty, but they're not able to get drink. And they are desperate And not only that, they're in danger. I mean, any wanderer is susceptible to wild beasts, to bandits. And we see in verse 5 that this situation is pretty severe. I mean, what does it say? Their soul has fainted. They're on the brink 
of extinction. In my mind, I have this image of like a Western, right? And it's that guy who's, you know, in the, the hat and the cowboy boots, and he's just plodding through the desert, and he's getting further and further along, and, and he, he, no sign of life. He looks in the distance. He thinks he sees water, but alas, that's only a mirage, right? He, t- he checks his canteen one more time, completely bone dry. And right about then, he falls to the ground. There's like a cattle skeleton there, you know? And he's, he's just wishing that somebody, anyone, would come along, that he could find water. This is, this is the, the visual here. Somebody is desperate. And it's at this point that the wanderer cries out for help. And all of a sudden they say, it says that they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, verse 6, and he delivered them from their distress. Pay attention to that. That's, that's repeated again and again in the psalm. That is the cry every time. I can't imagine that the, the cry would have been very loud, right? The lips are parched, the throat is dry, and there's just this little, help, God, help. But God heard immediately. And this is always true about our God. Our God hears when we humbly and in a, in a state of repentance we cry out, it reaches his ears. It doesn't matter how loud it is. It doesn't matter how much we know, maybe about theology, so long as we know that Jesus is our only hope. And we cry out and we say, God, help me. I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate. And the reason that God hears a humble cry, the reason that he responds to a humble cry is not necessarily because of our cry being so pathetic, although that's some of it. It's really, when you look at this text, because of his steadfast love. God is a God of steadfast love, and it is that steadfast love that causes him to reach out and actually to rescue us. It's not necessarily something intrinsic in us. This phrase, steadfast love, six times in this psalm, and you see it in verse 1, 8, 15, 21, 31, 43. It's a very important phrase. It's one word in the Hebrew. It's the word chesed, and it's like H-E-S-E-D if you're writing it in English. And it's this special, special word all throughout the Old Testament that, that, that speaks of God's love for us, not because of us, but because of his covenant. He has made a covenant with his people, and he's decided to show kindness to them, to show mercy to them, to rescue them. And it's this chesed, this covenant love that causes God to reach out and to restore or to, to rescue this person. It's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. And this situation here, this wanderer, this is every one of us before we came to Christ, before we cried out in repentance. This was us. We we were no less desperate. We were wandering, not knowing where to go. But God saw us and God heard us and he stooped down and he rescued us. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We come to the Father through him. And so he is the way when we have no way. He is the hope when we're hopeless. We were spiritual vagabonds. And then God takes us and he he takes us through the wilderness of this life into the great city of God. I mean, life is a wilderness. People die. Cancer ravishes us. These are the things that we literally deal with right now. God takes us through this wilderness and he delivers us safely into the city of God. That's a beautiful thing. Notice in verse 9 that when God rescues us, he changes everything. I mean, we were once thirsty, unsatisfied, and now the scriptures say that we, our soul is satisfied because of God's steadfast love. And we're satisfied with good things. Pay attention to that. Good 
things. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the spring of living water. And don't miss this. God gives us good things. It is the good things that come from God, who God is, that actually satisfy. Not the stuff of this world. Not what what Satan lures us with. That doesn't bring satisfaction. If you've been walking with God for any length of time, you know that when you wander away from God's path, where do you find yourself? I mean, can I just share personally, in my experience, 100% of the time that I have wandered off God's path, whether it be pride, whether it be envy, whether it be lust, whether it be anger, whatever it is, every single time I find myself parched, needing satisfaction from God. So why do I think that next time will be different, right? Why? Why do you and I struggle with this? How should we respond to this steadfast love that God reaches down and he, he saves the wanderer? How should we respond? Well, verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And this is verbatim repeated throughout the psalm. Why? Because we need to regularly, repeatedly give God thanks. Every day we should be giving God thanks for what he has done for us. We should be thanking God in our prayers. We should be thanking God in song. And I hope you try to sing on Sunday mornings here. Maybe you're not a great singer. Maybe you are. But I hope you sing or at least try to sing. Because God has taken us in our desperate state and he has, he's rescued us. He's breathed life into our lungs. The least we can do is, is utter some, some words and sing to him. And I know as a man it's not cool sometimes. Guess what? It's cool here, okay? It is cool. It is neat because God has taken us and rescued us. So we should sing his praises. We should share our testimony before others. We should tell people that we've been saved. And so we're going to do that this morning. I have first of three testimonies. Steve Batterman is going to come up and he's going to share with us how God rescued him when he was wandering. Good morning, friends. How are you this morning? My, I was married for eight years, have three beautiful girls, Taylor, Serenity, and Peyton. They were my life, my world. I would do anything for them. Well, April 13th, which is Friday the 13th, God, I love that day. My world came crashing down on me because my ex-wife took my girls from me, just right out from underneath me, and I haven't seen them or talked to them since then. And I was very, very angry. I was to the point where I was just so mad at God because I couldn't understand why he took my girls from me and gave them to her. I was very, very desperate. I was in a very bad place, and I was on my last whim, and I was like, I just prayed one night because that's what everybody told me to do, and I found myself June 14th of all days, my first time here at church, which was Father's Day, and four days later, I met with Pastor Mark, and he helped me see the light and God, and I was like, I'm just going to put my trust in everything in God that everything will be right again. And this coming Tuesday, I got to go back down to Kentucky because God finally answered my prayers, and I'm going to get word on when I'm going to get my girls back. So if he can do that for me, he can do that for anybody. That's my story. Plus, Sunday, today, after church, I'm getting baptized at Pastor Mark's house. Yeah, thank you, Steve. God is good, right? And I remember Steve and I talking about you know, why would these, these horrible things happen? Well, we don't always know all the, we don't know the answers. But I know that God allows us to get to that point of desperation so that we recognize, I need you, Jesus. I have no one else. I need you. So praise the Lord for that testimony. 
God's steadfast love retrieves the wanderer like Steve and like Mark. And he can restore you as well. Second, he releases the prisoner. God's steadfast love releases the prisoner. Verse 10 through 16, you see this, uh, this new illustration where these prisoners are caught in slavery, sentenced to hard labor. They're, they're convicted to die. The only thing darker than their cell is their looming execution that's coming. And it might come from intense guilt, this weight that they're experiencing, maybe. But certainly it's because of the judgment of God, because in the text it says that God is the one who has bowed their hearts down with hard labor. Verse 12. And when we rebel against the words of God and spurn his counsel, verse 11, we have to know this. We punch our own ticket to a dark, dank cell. We send ourselves there. And this should serve as a warning to us. This is where sin takes us. Sin takes us and imprisons us, and it puts us in a claustrophobic world, and it, it puts us into darkness, and sin causes us to despair. It's what it does. This past week, the world has watched as this boys' soccer team in Thailand has been trapped in the middle of a mountain in a cave, and these 12 boys and their coach are running out of time. Now, I heard that this morning they were starting rescue. Perhaps some have even been rescued. But I, I, I don't know about you, I feel deeply for these, for these kids. I feel deeply for these boys. As they wait there and they're just like, can somebody help us? They can do nothing. And all they do is wait helplessly. This is an incredibly appropriate picture for where we are before Christ rescues us. We're there. We're desperate. We're in darkness. We're imprisoned. And we need somebody, anybody, to come rescue us. On Thursday, a, a former Navy diver who delivered oxygen tanks for the boys in that cave, he lost his life. He was making the dive, the five-hour dive back to the entrance when he ran out of a supply of oxygen. When I heard that story, I was like, isn't that a picture of Christ's love for me, right? He, he would come and rescue me. He would give up himself and die so that I might be rescued. Except his rescue was completed, right? He actually did it. Death was conquered. And three days later, he rose from the dead. So Jesus is that rescuer who actually gave up his life but then lives to tell about it. And I ask you this morning, do you realize the love that Jesus had for you? Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you've been here just a short while. Do you get this? Do you understand that Jesus loved you so much that he would willingly give up his life for you? That Jesus Christ died to save you from that dark prison that dark cave. Now you won't cry out to him until you recognize that you have no hope, that you are helpless, that the only thing you can do is ask for God to come save you because you are in big trouble. When you see that time is running out, I mean, if we could zoom out and we could see ourselves from an eternal perspective, we would know that we are closer to the end than we realize. Everything seems fine now, yes, but if we could see from an eternal perspective, we would recognize that we're running out of time. Now, Israel was enslaved in darkness, but look at verse 14 and 16. There is this incredible hope in verse 14 and 16. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart, 16. For he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts in two the bars of iron. It's God who brings them out of darkness. It's God who delivers them. And notice this, it's not just releasing them from the shackles. He obliterates their bonds. He cuts them in two. He shatters them. And we just sang it. I'm free. I'm free forever. I'm free. Forever. 
never to be enslaved again. And this is the way that God's redemption works. Once he breaks the chains, he does so permanently. When Jesus died and rose again, he crushed the head of the serpent, destroyed death once and for all, and Christ allowed for for death to no longer have power over us. Charles Wesley said this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What's our response to this? How, how do you and I respond to being, to being released from, from prison, released from that dark cave? Well, verse 15, we give thanks to God. This is a Thanksgiving psalm, so it's Thanksgiving in July today, all right? We give thanksgiving because God saw fit to release us. And if we do not give thanks, we are most ungrateful. So let's keep that thanksgiving train going. And Kevin Milan is somewhere here. Where are you, Kevin? He's going to come share with us um, about his story and how God rescued him. Good morning. My name is Kevin Milan, and I just want to share your story with you on uh, the day that God changed my life one night. 30 years ago, back in 1988, I was 22 years old. I was home on a winter break from college, and my girlfriend of two years had just broken up with me. I was very cold, lonely, and depressed. I was so cold that I was literally freezing and shivering in my kitchen. And it was from the love that I had lost. I never felt cold like that. I also had a very bad headache. I don't normally get headaches, but this would probably be the closest to a migraine. It felt like I had a freeway of juices flowing, rushing through my head. It got so bad to the point, I literally started pounding my head on the t- kitchen table, trying to make it go away, as if that would help. But, um, so my mom, she happened to be in the living room, and she heard the pounding and came in, and she's like, Kevin, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing, Mom, nothing. She kept pleading with me. Talk to me. No. What do moms know, right? How's she going to help me? She can't get my girlfriend back. But she was persistent. I thank God for her persistence. So she said, Kevin, come on with me to my bedroom and talk. Finally, okay, I'll go. Probably just to shut her up. So we get in there, and I sit on the bed, and she's standing by the door, closes the door, and I proceeded to unleash like a five-minute profanity-laced tirade, how the world stinks, people that you love leave you, you can't count on nothing. And I told her, and I'm really thinking of jumping off this nine-span bridge that we live. I just figured one splat would be done. I was tired of life. I had it. I was tired of the pain. I just wanted it to end. Now you got to know my mom. My mom's one of these ladies where if, she skinned, if you skin your knee, she panics and freaks out. So I say all that, and I'm waiting for her to respond, and she just stands there by the door calmly. So then I went in for a couple more minutes. I went on my little rant rage, and when I calmed myself down, she said one thing to me. She said, you know, Kevin, when I get really depressed, I talk to God and I feel better. And I was blown away. See, my mom was Catholic growing up. My father was Lutheran, and all I know is I thought that my father forced her to convert and that she just did it to keep peace with him 
and the family. I didn't think she cared about God. And she told me, no. She goes, I do. And I come around and agree with your father's view and so on. Then she gave me a hug, told me she loved me, and walked right out the door. And I was like, who is that lady? That is not how my mom reacts. And just to let you know, she has never been that cool, calm, and collected in her life before that moment. And she'd never been that way after. <laughs> that was the first miracle that happened in this story. I didn't know it at the time. So, but then I thought about what she said. And I was like, you know, I totally forgot about God. So I went in my bedroom, got my Bible out, wiped the dust off of it. I started to read it. And I look up the, in the topical index for verses dealing with peace and hope. And honestly, I'm looking for a quick fix. And I would read a verse and wait a minute and nothing happened. I'm still feeling anxious. And I would do another one. I did that about a dozen or so times. And I'm finally like, this don't work. And I said these words out loud. I said, psychology is right. There is no God, there is no Jesus, it's all just a myth, a big fairy tale. And I was getting ready, getting ready to close the Bible up, and all of a sudden I noticed that freeway of juices in my head was starting to slow down a lot. And I thought, maybe I should continue reading. I didn't want it to get worse. So now, I'm somewhere in the book of Romans, and I started reading about things convicted me of my sin. I didn't want to find that out. So I wasn't a bad kid, didn't do drugs or nothing like that or get in trouble. But at that point in my life, I was sleeping around with different girls. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. And I read this verse, Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those words, still sinners, it's like they jumped off the at the page at me, like a neon sign. I was cut to the heart when I read that. And then I kept coming across the word Lord in many verses, and I thought, you know, I always thought of Jesus as my Savior, but not Lord. You know, I, uh, I was boss of my life, and I knew I would have to change some things and do things differently, and I, quite honestly, I didn't want to do it. And so... Uh, I was kind of wrestling with God, counting the cost, and I thought, I don't want to change this, but yet at the same time, I'm tired of being, you know, depressed and, and anxious and all that stuff. And then I, I would never recommend doing it this way, but I literally looked up and I shook my fist at God like that because I was in a rock and a hard place. So I realized, I said, you know what, I cannot fight God and win. I, I just felt like if I persisted in my ways, his hand would be real heavy on me. So then I said this. I looked up and I said, Jesus, if you're real, now. I'm convinced he's real now. A few minutes ago, it's like, now this doesn't make sense. But now it's making sense. So it wasn't a question of whether he exists. It was more or less, I'm putting him to the test. And I said, if you're real, if you want my life, I said, you can have it. I said, I have no friends. I was a loner. I just lost my girlfriend who I love. My family life's miserable. I said, I don't even want to live. I want to jump off that bridge. I said, so if you want my life, you can have it. And then I put my head down, and I said, what could you? I said, what could you possibly do with it? You want to talk about amazing grace? 
amazing grace for me is this. God looked past my sarcasm and my doubt, and he saw a heart that was willing to give him a chance, and he still received it. And the very next moment after I said those words, I felt a stirring inside. I didn't know what was happening. Something was just turning around. It was a tingling feeling. I was changing my heart. And then I remember getting up, and I wouldn't have believed this if I hadn't been there, but this is what happened. Next thing I know, a shower of warm yellow light is filling the room around me, and it got so bright I had to literally close my eyes. Now, remember earlier when I said I was literally freezing? I'm sitting here, and I got my eyes closed, and I'm like, what is going on? I don't understand it. But all of a sudden, that fear gave way, and that light was warming my cold body up. So I just relaxed, and I bathed in it for about a minute. And when that light finally was going away, I opened my eyes, and I had a smile on my face like I hadn't had in years. And the first thing I thought about was my father, who I hated. He used to walk by me in the house when I was living at home and say, there's something wrong with that kid. He never smiles. He would tell my mom. And one day I had the audacity to say, there's nothing to smile about in this house. And that's how I felt. And I had an older gentleman tell me, Kevin, you got to forgive your father. You got to forgive your father. And I said, I know that, and I want to do that, but I can't. But I thought if he could apologize one time from the heart for all the harm he had caused, you know, growing up, I really believe that I could forgive him. But you know what? That apology never came, and he never changed. But God changed my heart in that moment. And when I first thought of him, all the pain, anger, and hatred toward him was, was gone. It was gone. I go into the next room. I tell my mom, Mom, I says, you're not going to believe this. I had this spiritual awakening, revitalization. I says, I don't even know what to call it. I said, but all I know is, though, even though the circumstances in my life are still the same, I know it's going to get better. And I had hope, which I didn't have. And she looked at me, okay. I think she thought I was a little crazy. Didn't know what happened. But anyway, I go back in the kitchen. I start to read my Bible. Now, for the first time, I really want to read it. I want to get to know this God who had changed me. And so I actually went back to that girlfriend who I was suicidal over. I told her my story, and she said, you're so different. She was really intrigued by it, and I still loved her. I wanted her back. Well, after about a week of hanging out with her and talking about God and singing his praises. Then she looked at me and she goes, you've changed. It was a very foreboding type of way she said it. And I says, I didn't change. God changed me. Get it right. And I knew when she said that, that we were on different paths. And I wanted to go down this road and she didn't want to go down that road with me. And I was able to leave her from my heart. And I walked out and I was okay. I went back to my church Started sharing with them what happened, and people couldn't, they didn't know what to make of it. They were saying, you know, we respect your faith a lot, but we think you talk about God too much. In church, really? I had one, uh, one lady actually suggest, well, you know, the devil masquer masquerades as an angel of light. Yeah, I tried to hold back some anger there, and I says, well, let's go with that. Now, if that's true, you know, what does Jesus say? A house divided cannot fall. Uh, Satan can't cast out Satan. Why am I talking about Jesus and giving him praise for what happened? That didn't make sense. 
Another lady says, Kevin, you were saved at your baptism. You just had a special touch from God. And I says, you know, you know the story in the Bible where it talks about the blind man getting healed? And he's, he's in the temple, I believe, and the Pharisees say, we know this man's a sinner, but it was your eyes he opened. What do you have to say about it? And he says, whether he's a sinner or not, he says, I do not know. He says, but one thing I know, once I was blind and now I see. And I told her, whether that was just a special touch from God, I don't know. All I know is one time, at one point, I was depressed and anxious and all that, and now I have peace and joy, and I'm happy. One time, I had no friends, and I asked God to bring friends into my life, and the next thing I know, months later, I had to buy an address book. Never thought I would need that. And then, it says, one point, I hated my father, and I couldn't forgive him, and now I'm able to. One point, I wanted to end my life because it was so miserable, and now I enjoy living. So, so you tell me what happened. It would be months later through reading, through my Bible reading, I came across John 3.3. 3. Jesus said, you must be born again. I was like, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. As much as the Lutherans taught us about Scripture somehow, I didn't hear it. They skipped over it. And I was like, wow, I thought that was a Baptist thing. And <laughs> So they were the only ones talking about it. I flipped back a few chapters. I was like, didn't I read some about this earlier? And then I, I reread again John 1.12. Yet to all who receive him, even to those who believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God, not by natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but by God. And when I read that, it was like an epiphany. I was like, that's it. At least for me, that's it. Because any life I had before that, it was nothing. So basically, the moral of this long testimony, I'm sorry for going long, but is this. I'm nobody special, but if I can say all those things to God like that and he can forgive me, is there any sin that you have that he can't forgive? Is there any reason that he wouldn't change you too? I can tell you there is none. He'll do it. But you just got to be real with him, and it's all about surrendering. Thank you. Man, it's powerful, isn't it? How God changes us. He retrieves the wanderer, he releases the prisoner, he heals the sick, thirdly. Verse 17 through 22, if you look at that in your scriptures, hopefully they're still open. If not, open them again, 17 through 22 there. And here we're introduced to some fools, some people who, because of their foolishness, are severely sick. They're so sick they can't eat. You ever been there? You're so sick you can't even eat food? But this sickness is different than a bug. This is verse 18, they're drawing near to the gates of death. And they're in this des desperate place because of their foolishness. Now, I'm praying that there are no fools here this morning. No people who would say, I don't fear God. I want to live the way I want to live. And quite honestly, I don't really care what God thinks about it. Maybe there is. I don't know. If, there, if that's you this morning, then verses 17 through 20 is for you. And if you listen to nothing else, listen to this if this is you. You are suffering from a sickness and you don't even realize it. And if you don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ, it may be too late. Your sin and rebellion against God is a virus, and it is destroying your soul. The only hope you have is to cry out in repentance like you've heard testimony already this morning. And you might say, I'm fine, Pastor Mark, I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm okay. Yeah, but what about in your heart where no one can see? What about in that heart? 
have you refused to bow the knee to Christ? In your heart, are you, are you just tenaciously doing what you want? If you play the fool, your fo- foolishness will backfire. And notice that this is a sickness that is inflicted, self-inflicted. This sin sickness is self-inflicted. I mean, it says right in the text here, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. But here's the thing, that's where grace comes in. Yes, they were responsible. It was because of their foolishness that they're in this desperate state. But what does God do? God, by his amazing grace, even when we shake our fist in God's face, he comes and he heals. And I love this, verse 20. It's a word from the Lord that brings healing. God's word is what brings healing. The idea is that there's no hope anywhere else. No doctor can fix this sickness. No expert or specialist can take care of your heart sickness. This is only God and only God speaking a word. For those of you who've been healed, what is our response going to be? What is the takeaway from this whole sermon? Well, again, in verse 21, give thanks. Give thanks that God rescued you and healed you from your sin sickness. These, these, uh, these men have done this today. They have shared their testimony. Will you do the same? Will you give thanks to God? Yeah, it's July. It's not, it's not Thanksgiving. I know. Give God thanks today. We're going to sing a song in just a little bit. Sing it. Do your best. Whatever you can get out there, just sing to God because he has saved you. We have one more testimony. Joelle's going to come up and share with us before we finish up. Good morning, everybody. Just want to tell you my story. Um, it's happened last year. Um, where I feel God saved me. Uh, I was at work one day. Um, there was a lot of things going on, a lot of changes at work. Um, I, I wasn't used to. I, I didn't want. Of course, we don't want change. Um, I was stressed out. Uh, I did preventative maintenance. So I was on top of a rooftop. And um, I was angry. It was hot outside. I was mad. I, I couldn't understand why I was so mad. But just something came over me, and I was just mad and upset. And it was hot, like I said. Um, I didn't know what else to do, so I called my girlfriend. And um, I told her about what I was thinking and why I was mad and everything. And I told her I wanted to jump off the roof. I wanted to commit suicide. Uh, she told me, babe, babe, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And I was yelling and screaming on the phone with her. I was on the roof. I, I didn't know what else to do. I was just, I was so angry. She goes, babe, just calm down. It's going to be okay. We'll get through it, you know. And I said, babe, I'm going to just let you go. She's like, no, no, don't let me go. Stay on the phone with me. She was scared. She thought I was going to do something crazy. I thought I was. So, um. I was like, babe, let me just take a minute. Let me collect my thoughts, and um, I'll call you back. So I hung up the phone. I sat on the rooftop, and um, I did the only thing I knew to do. I come from a, a Catholic background, so I knew I could pray and talk to God whenever I needed to. So I sat there, and I prayed to him, and I, I said, God, just... Help me. Keep me from jumping off this roof. Um, guide me. Do something. I just didn't know what else to do. After that, I told myself, I need to get back to church. 
I need to pray. I need to have God in my life, God in my heart. Um, just to let go and let God. So I said, I got to go back to church. I didn't want to go back to Catholic church. Sorry. And I remembered with my girlfriend, we'd go to parties and gathering, family gatherings and stuff. And I would always hear her family talk about um, their church, Bethel. How the service really touched their heart, made them cry. They would sing songs, make them cry. And I'm thinking to myself, that's kind of weird. Like, never did that before, you know, at a Catholic church. So I gave it a try. So I reached out to her and asked her if I could attend church with them. And she was, she was happy. She was excited. She's like, yeah, of course. Come to church with us. We'd love you there. She goes, um. She gave me the time. She says, we're going to save a seat for you. We sit in the front. And I'm thinking, in the front? I'm used to sitting way in the back. <laughs> but um, so I said, okay, I'll see, you. I'll see you guys at church Sunday. So I called my girlfriend back, and I told her, I was like, babe, I'm okay. I kind of took a couple minutes, breather and everything. I didn't tell her about me reaching out to her family or nothing. Um, so I got home. I was talking to her, and I said, babe, um, I got a hold of your family, and I'm going to church with them on Sunday. And she looked at me, and she's like, and she told me, and I quote, babe, you can go to church. That's fine. But I don't want my family pressuring me to go to church. I don't want you pressuring me to go to church. I have a relationship with God, and that's all I need. I said, babe, it's okay. It's not about you. It's about me. I need to get back to church. I need help. I need guidance. She goes, okay, as long as they don't pressure me. Okay. So that following Sunday came. I woke up. Started getting ready. And I see her getting ready. And I said, babe, where are you going? She never told me she was going anywhere. She goes, how can I love and support you and not go to church with you? That touched my heart. I was like, you're coming to church with me? Like, I felt, felt good. I was like, wow. So I gave her a hug and a kiss, and uh, we went to church. And uh, we walked in, and her, her family was sitting in the kind of front row, and they saw her, and they were just like, oh, my God. Like, Jen's in church. <laughs> Never thought they would see that day. Um, they cried. We all cried. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I remember sitting down and talking with Pastor Mark, and he, what he said was, I can't quote him word for word, but he said that God seen me at my, like, my low spot, my worst, and he brought me to the light, saving me, and through me, he got to my girlfriend, too, and um, I thought those were powerful words, and now I feel at home. I love coming to church now. I don't feel like it's a chore. When I went to Catholic church, I, I'm sorry to say this, but I felt like it was a chore, like, oh, I get up, I go to church. Now I'm like, Babe, let's go. We got to go to church. Like, let's go. 
Um, and I love it, and I feel at home here. I love everybody here. Thank you. Thanks, ah, it's good stuff, right? Thank you, Joel, for sharing that. God's steadfast love retrieves wanderers, releases prisoners, heals the sick, like these men and myself, and lastly, calms the distressed. I'm going to finish up with this here. Verse 23, one more illustration, just briefly, look at this. We, we come in contact with a sailor here. And this sailor goes out on sea, just like he always does. He's a professional, and yet he's caught in a turbulent storm. And you've got to understand, sailors of this day are highly respected. They are they're tough dudes. I mean, they, they don't have computers, navigational equipment. They don't have motors on their boats. These guys are rough. These guys are tough. And yet, we have these, uh, these uh, guys shaking in their waders. I mean, they're so frightened. Why? Well, if you look at the passage, they're caught in basically a nautical nightmare. I mean, up and down, the waves are going. The wind is strong. The, the ship is tossing them. And they're completely helpless. And I want you to look at verse 27. This is where we end this morning. Verse 27. In the ESV, it says that they were at their wits' end. Quite literally, that means that all their wisdom was swallowed up. All of their nautical understanding was drowned. It's a play on words. And it's saying they are, they're at the end of the rope. They're desperate. And so what do they do? They cry out, just like you heard testimony from each of these guys. They cry out. What else can I do but cry out to God? And this is where God has to get us. God has to get us to a place of desperation. And until he does, we will not cry out for salvation. So I want to sit here for just a moment. Parker's going to come out, and he's going to start to play for us and, and wrap us up here. But have you gotten there? Have you ever gotten to your wit's end where you are, you're at the end of your rope, you have nowhere else to go, and so you cry out in repentance to God and say, God, you know, here's my life. I don't know if you could do anything with it, like Kevin said. Or God, just keep me from hurting myself, as Joel said. Like, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Have you ever gotten to your wit's end? And I cannot emphasize this enough. Pick any one of these parables. I mean, think about all four of these. Are you weary of your wandering? Are you sick of slavery? Are you finished with your foolishness? Are you worn out by the waves? Are you at your wit's end? And if not, what is it going to take? You hear us talking today, and you're like, yeah, I'm not quite there yet. What's it going to take? And if you are, if you're here this morning and everything that these guys said resonated with you because that's where you are, what are you waiting for? Cry out to God. Ask him to save you. There's going to be some prayer counselors, a prayer team up here after the service. Come up and just say, pray with me. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what's happening in my life, but I need him. Until we're forgiven by God, we can never find rest. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Until God, you, you give me rest, I am restless. And how about those of us who have experienced the rescue of Christ and you want to shout for joy because of these testimonies you heard? What are we to do? He retrieves us wanderers. He releases us prisoners. He heals us in our sickness and he calms us in our distress. How do we respond to that? What's the practical takeaway today? You praise him. You praise him. You join Steve and Kevin and Joel and you praise him and you give testimony and you tell people what God has done for you. 
That's what we're to do. You should sing as we sing in a moment here, and you should do so saying, oh God, thank you for your reckless love. Thank you for your love that, that came after me. Thank you for saving me. It's Thanksgiving in July, all right? A time to give thanks. We should obey Psalm 107.2 that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Let's do that right now.